Value Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. I'm very pleased this evening to speak with uh, Sergi Herrero, who is now in London and uh, who is the co-CEO of uh, Beyond, an Amsterdam-listed uh, telecommunications company that has most of its business in Russia and in other emerging countries like uh, Pakistan and so on. Yeah, well, thank you, Emmanuel, for having me. I'm very happy to, yeah. to be talking with you today. We are headquartered in Amsterdam, but we are publicly traded uh, in New York also, in the Nasdaq. So we have two, 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 two trading offices. Good. And we operate in, in 10 markets. So Russia is the, the biggest one, but we also have uh, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Algeria, and then uh, another set of CIS markets like Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Georgia, and Armenia uh, to serve around 210 million customers. Sergey, give me a sense of what the pandemic has meant to you uh, as a professional with all this experience behind you you know what what have you been thinking about um you know and um, what are some of the opportunities that may have come across for you pandemic for us the first reaction was uh, to be sure that our teams were safe and secure our industry it's it's quite exposed and, and we need to be sure that the network is working so our first focus was on security and health of uh, of our teams we were very fortunate that uh, we had good protocols in place so we had no, no issues in that regard but immediately, my mindset shifted towards the opportunity. What this crisis is bringing is a confirmation of things that most of people had in their mind, but uh, they always said, yeah, maybe in a few years from now, or maybe we need uh, still a couple of steps. This crisis is making very clear that digitalization and moving to a, a cashless society, it's, it's going to happen now. And the skepticals, I think that they were convinced uh, during these past eight weeks of being forced to be at home. And now it's uh, hyperinflation when it comes to the demand of these services. Everybody wants to have it now. And uh, all the, the investments that perhaps were a bit delayed, now they are being accelerated. So for me, it means uh, a confirmation of what uh, we already put in place eight months ago when I joined Vion. Uh, and perhaps it was uh, the main reason for me to, to change Facebook to, to join a telco in emerging markets. I'm a true believer on the capacity of identity. I think that uh, identity and a mobile phone, it's perhaps the closest thing to, to a digital identity. And the phone number, it's something that we all use on a day-to-day basis that we know by heart and that even we protect as much as we can and we don't want to lose. So using that as a way to identify people in a safe and secure manner and allow them and empower them to transact, for me, was always uh, something that we did in my previous life at Facebook and I wanted to implement uh, in Vion. Vion has the the luck of being operating uh, in, in places that are inconvenient and definitely in a developing stage. Uh, and yeah. some people could see it as, a, as an issue. For me, it was a blessing. So we are in a very unique position to be the ones driving this wave of change when it comes to cashless uh, and fintech, because we know most of the, the customers better even than the governments sometimes. So if we can leverage that type of uh, information to make onboarding and creation of accounts simpler, uh, I think it's a win-win for everybody. First step is a number of uh, developed countries, uh, governments have uh, put in place um, guarantees and, uh, and disbursement of uh, re- uh, funds uh, to their respective economies. So there's this whole dis- disbursement process uh, taking place. Uh, some of that disbursement is going through the banking system. Um, and mm-hmm. there will be two elements there. One would be 
uh, identity, which is uh, KYC, EKYC maybe, and, uh, and the whole onboarding process. Um, funny thing is that in many markets, the UK, Germany, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, you know, where, where the, the disbursement process is already underway, but governments did not use this opportunity to onboard um, a lot of the fintech, the, the, uh, the startup community, uh, which had perfected identity as the first point of call, and then and then payments. Um, you know, so they they're not incorporating uh, some of the latest um, you know infrastructure available in these two areas. There's different types of uh, acceptance or embracing. Uh, I think that uh, due to our work, uh, we are close to the government. These discussions uh, were us trying to convince them in the past on the importance of having these systems connected. Now it's the opposite. They are coming back to us and saying, okay, I know that you came with these ideas, how we can accelerate them. So yes, I think that it was not fully built up, but the eagerness on the government side to make this thing happen is progressing quite, quite fast. So I'll give you the example of Pakistan. We are very close with the Pakistani government and we are already working in ways to disperse funds. Yes, the traditional banking system plays a role, but I think that the new players like us touch a segment of the society that is the one that perhaps is being most impacted for this crisis and the ones that perhaps are not bankerized. Including this type of players is very, very important to make sure that we have a successful approach. Do you have an opinion that uh, emerging countries are easier to onboard uh, or rather to, to give this kind of, uh, uh, to build this kind of infrastructure than more developed countries with more developed uh, banking regulations in place? The emerging economies are definitely uh, more open-minded when it comes to quickly changing the laws. And perhaps in the past they were a bit reluctant, but now they are fully convinced that this is the way to go. And, and adapting quicker. More, more developed economies, changing existing regulation is always more complicated than building new one. So I think that we have a, a bit of advantage when it comes to places like in Bangladesh, Pakistan, or even Algeria, where there's not a clear um, definition of uh, e-money, and we can help carve out something that, yes, it continues to be safe and secure for, for the customer, but at the same time that we don't, I would say, preclude the low, lowest tiers of the society to create a bank account and to have access to this type of services. Which countries do you think are further down the road? Uh, just on the concept of identity, right? There's a lot of uh, work being done. Some of uh, the work on identity is blockchain-centric, uh, you know, trying to create that kind of um, a mutually very validating um, concept. And then there is the more straightforward telco type driven uh, process. Yeah. Where, where do you come from and, and you know, what are you seeing? Well, now you're putting me on, on the spot because I'm definitely a, a believer on blockchain and the, the new approach that uh, payments could take. I do believe that decentralizing uh, can add stability in these in this, uh, moments. But I would say that there's already governments using the traditional rails that are putting identity at the center. Singapore is definitely one of the, the most advanced players when it comes to, to this area. And in my previous life uh, with Facebook, we definitely work closely with, uh, with the government of Singapore to try to build some type of identity that could serve um, also on the payments front. I think that the second one perhaps would be India with uh, UPI and the monetization. I think that that was a big push uh, towards this digital identity. 
the, the world was looking uh, at what happened uh, in India and the results are quite positive. I mean, it's not perfect, but uh, trying to solve issues for a billion people are not easy. We are seeing good positive traction and now other economies like the ones we operate in, they are definitely keen to implement some sort of democratization because they see the values of onboarding people that were perhaps left away, but also it's a way to bring transparency to some parts of the economy that uh, otherwise would be more gray. Now that you are a chief executive of a telco company, do you see this differently from when you were involved in a platform? And, and would you see this differently if you were a service provider like a financial institution? Um, are there differences in perspective? There's always uh, this saying that uh, the grass is greener on the other side, right? So, so when, we were, when I was at the platform side, uh, we were always talking about the importance of, of uh, getting the final mile when it comes to access to the customer and how the, the telcos were playing a, a very important role and if that role uh, done properly it could generate more value you, you see today the examples of facebook investing in, in reliance in india and another company is doing the, the same thing so it's again another confirmation that perhaps the telcos are, are reclaiming a bit of, of their importance when it comes to managing identity so now that i'm in, in a telco I fully believe it. We are still a bit behind, to be to be fully honest. We were very focused on deploying 4G uh, towers, all, all the, the telco, I, I would say, mindset. We are changing that, and that's also part of, of the beauty of Beyond and why we have two co-CEOs. Um, my focus and my background is mainly on these new technologies, digitalization, platformization, and also new ventures and adjacent businesses. But the business still needs to be to be run, and that's why my, my co-CEO uh, adds a lot of value. He can focus on that area, be sure that the infrastructure is very efficient and very reliable, at, of course, at a good price, and then we can focus on building services on top of that. The situation is evolving in a way that uh, there's going to be perhaps more concentration when it comes to providing services, and players like us can become, again, relevant. I get this idea that you, your job as co-CEO is really to... Uh, add on the content element, uh, the, the revenue generating element. Um, in 4G, in the 4G world, basically it was about streaming content and um, you know and uh, uh, um, you know a voice VO IP and so on. Um, and and the new agenda is already being forced onto you. I mean, uh, whoever is not investing in 5G, uh, you know, is going to be left behind. And and you know, you're the kind of emerging market player who is. Uh, who needs to build it all up from scratch if you if you want to play. If not, uh, you, you lose it. Strategically, what do you need to do to make that transition? The good thing is that 5G in our geographies is not going to come tomorrow. There's still a lot of room when it comes to 4G deployment and 4G adoption. So uh, our main focus is to be sure that we get everybody to 4G. And when I say everybody, it means uh, all the segments of the population. So we are trying not to exclude by uh, acquisition power or, or other other things. But our focus is a bit different. Instead of using the telco as a way to distribute uh, only our services, we want to create new services. And we define three clear verticals that for us are important. The first one is financial services. I think that with the operations that we have, uh, not only in Pakistan, but also in Russia, uh, and even in Ukraine and Uzbekistan, we have something that is uh, relevant in that, in that area. The second piece is, is content. We have good operations when it comes to TV, music, and, and gaming. So we want to develop that, that area. And the final one is uh, what we call big data and ad tech. Uh, we have a lot of data when it comes to uh, our customers. This data 
can be fully anonymized, but still be used in a, in a way to enrich credit scoring or uh, ad targeting. So it's something that we are starting to develop. But for me, these three verticals are completely separate business that, yes, rely on the connectivity side, but uh, in the near future can be completely standalone. So when we think about Vion, we are thinking about uh, a portfolio of companies. One of them, yes, would be connectivity, but we're going to have three, four, or hopefully more in other verticals. So it's it's becoming more a holding of uh, enterprises than, than just a telco player that is trying to do more things than telco. There's another model to portfolio companies, which is called the API model, which is like a cloud mm -hmm. sort of a structure. Um, which appeals to you more now? Because uh, the cloud structure is one where you don't own a portfolio company. So you, you basically create an ecosystem of players um, you know, um, sort of leveraging off each other and you, you probably make money from a subscription model or something like that. Uh, you know, where are you now? Uh, is it as a telecom player uh, that you need to own the assets that you're creating? We want definitely to own the assets that we create, but we don't want to create them only for our subscribers. And, and that's uh, for us a big difference. Uh, and we are seeing products that are being used uh, actually in just a, a minority of our customers, that the majority of the traffic comes from people that are not our telco customer. So we want to continue in that, uh, in that path and create products and services that are relevant for people. If they are a customer of our telco business, fantastic. If not, not a big deal, because we're gonna create new revenues and new monetization streams. The focus there also is on growth. At this point, we are not focusing on monetizing, basically because we are just scratching the surface. And I'll give you the example of Pakistan. We have uh, just cash with 8 million customers. Uh, but if I compare with just, uh, I would say the telco, there's 62 million there. So I'm, I'm like, what, 12% of uh, the potential users uh, in Pakistan. So it's, it's very early to, to say that uh, we are ready to start monetizing. So for us, our focus is on growth. Uh, and even with what we're seeing is it's uh, like, double-digit growth uh, in this uh, ecosystem. So for us, the focus there is persons, customers, product-centric, and then at some point, if we need to monetize, we'll think about it. Content, it's an easy one. Uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. And then there's three paths that are already been defined. The first one, it's ad base, uh, and uh, it's, it's something that is working quite well. I, I think that we have a good uh, position there. And then you can also go with subscription for some premium contents, or even pay-per-view when it comes to live events like uh, music or, or sports. We just piloted in Russia, for example, a live concert. Uh, and it was something that we never did before, but uh, with COVID, we wanted to, to improvise. So we, we put this, uh, this concert with, with uh, Russian musicians and the success was phenomenal. We had more than 200,000 people joining into these concerts. And the segment of population that was joining, it was very interesting because it was between 32 and 38 years old. So it's definitely the type of people that we want to engage that perhaps were not even customers of a beeline uh, telco, but they feel that this is a, a good asset and a good product, so they want to participate. There's another piece about open APIs that we are trying to pilot. We were not uh, on the far front of uh, these technologies. Now we are catching up, uh, specifically in Ukraine. We have a, an open API project to allow uh, not only startups, but also banks and institutions to connect. We are going to deploy that and accelerate. So it's, it's more about creating things that matter for our customers than uh, trying to, to be two steps ahead. In the area of payments, um, let me just do a thought experiment with you. Uh, when you take something like M-Pesa in Kenya, 
that was a telco-led uh, initiative. But when they tried to replicate it in Nigeria or in South Africa, that didn't work too well because they had already had, um, you know, very developed uh, payments uh, industries. And then yeah. on top of that, uh, payments today, uh, you you have the, you know, you have the new things coming on like uh, central bank uh, digital currency. So mm -hmm. you have uh, just cash in in Pakistan. Uh, there's every reason that uh, that will be overtaken by the central bank at some point. You know, so. Uh, what, how, how's your thinking on payments evolving? Your, your personal thinking as a, as a professional who's, who's seen this yeah. evolving. Uh, and, you know, and maybe put in there something about Facebook. Do you think that Libra will ever come about? Or is it a kind of a red herring that, you know, it's, it's something else that will probably be more successful? As I said, I really believe on, on blockchain uh, and the decentralization, especially when you have central banks that print money with no, no limit. So I think that um, having a limited quantity uh, when it comes to, to money, it makes a lot of sense. But when it impacts to the day-to-day, -day, I think we are still far away from that. Uh, yes, there's uh, things that you can do, but it's uh, a subset of people that are using it. So it's perhaps you and I that we can have an Ethereum wallet and, and transact with uh, USD uh, in a virtual way. Most of the population are not there yet. That's exactly where uh, the value of just cash relies. We're talking about countries like Pakistan, Bangladesh that are emerging. Most of the population is not being bankerized and le left away. They, they cannot open a bank account. So if we can help them on board, then if they transact with rupees or at some point with digital rupees, it's, I would say, less relevant. And the way that we are building just cash, it's completely agnostic. So if tomorrow we want to switch to Bitcoin, Ethereum, or whatever it is, the cryptocurrency that the central bank creates, we can do it. At the end for us, it's an onboarding mechanism. It's a KYC uh, approach where we are saying this person, it's really this person. And based on, on the documents that this person provides, can transact up to a certain amount. And the things that they can do, it's uh, what they want to do, basically, which is send money to family and relatives across the country, or even remittances across border, pay their invoices when it comes to gas, electricity, or even taxes. And the government is very keen to develop that area. And finally, merchants. I think that uh, there's been a big push and a, and a big, uh, I would say, advance in just cash with the focus of merchants. Until now, our merchant proposition was not very strong. And with the partnership with MasterCard that we recently signed, there's definitely an acceleration on providing merchants with tools that uh, they are non-existent in Pakistan. Not only about QR codes, but the way to create a point of sale with just a phone. Uh, for me, th those changes are, I would say, more profound and more needed than the crypto and the blockchain developments. That it will come, but it will not be effective if we don't have this type of infrastructure. What's interesting is in, in India, for example, there's uh, Reliance and Reliance Go. Uh, they seem to have lots of capital to be able to wipe out any alternative proposition on price alone. You know, uh, so that's a capital war going on, uh, which which really is a, is in a way senseless. Beyond is is being a listed company with you know responsibility to shareholders and so on. Um, you know, you can't play that capital game in the way that the Reliance does. Um, you know, so um, how, how do you think about? you know, blatant capitalism, like, um, you know, uh, yeah. price-destroying capitalism. There's very few companies that can play the game that Reliance is playing. Uh, and uh, you can say that even it was a bet, uh, personal bet from, from their founder uh, and CEO. Uh, we are approaching it in a different way. I think that focusing on product uh, and customer 
you can do as many things uh, as you need. And at the end of the day, the price is, is not that relevant. So we are focusing on, on user experience, user proposition. That, that being said, we are in a very fortunate position. As we recently published in our earnings call, we are sitting on a 2.7 billion uh, liquidity. So we, we can act when necessary um, to either acquire or, or finance these type of projects. But also, uh, our shareholders are very keen to help us in, in, this, in this area. So uh, when you pair the, the potential of Beyond plus the shareholders that we have, I would say sky is the limit. We, we, we can do as much as, as we feel uh, appropriate. We are ready to accelerate. For us, it was more on creating the foundation. And uh, if you look back, probably a year ago, we were not in the position that we are today of, of having the foundation, the products, and even the mindset uh, of where to go. Now we do, and I think that uh, you'll see more things coming uh, from, uh, from our side, but we're definitely gonna accelerate, not only on burning cash, I think that burning cash is uh, a futile exercise, but on placing bets that are very focused and very thoughtful on the potential return. Return not for, for us in terms of revenue, but in terms of value for the population. We are firm believers that if we create value for our customers, at some point down the, the line, we will make money. And this is, comes uh, from my background at Facebook. We always operated like this, build something that it's engaging, and at some point we'll monetize. I feel the same way with Vion. In your case, you, you actually have to invest, whether you like it or not, 5G will come very quickly. Um, you know, and yeah. and even, even when you say 4G and you've got to invest on the servers in all the countries that you operate in, um, you, know, you might as well go to 5G like, very quickly. So you're actually uh, in a transitionary phase. It's, it's a moving target <laughs> in a way. Right, and and you're actually moving uh, emerging market countries into a developed market, um, you know, yeah. model. Speed would be an issue. Um, speed of um, of uh, execution, um, yeah. and also the whole the whole idea of uh, revenue generating on the go. I'm just trying to make sense of this moving target uh, in terms of the, the the telecommunication and content and infrastructure model. You know how that's going to play out. Um, and, and how you would differentiate between the different, um, you know, principles that are out there. You know, you've got Orange, you've got, um, you know, the, 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 yeah. main, the main players uh, in that way. Um, you know, you, you come across as an underdog, you know, and, and what does the mm. underdog needs to hold on to in order to play this game? I like being the underdog because uh, everybody discounts what you're going to do and then you can surprise. You mentioned some of the players, they tried multiple things. And look, nobody was really successful in that approach. Uh, so I think that we know exactly what we don't need to do. And I think that we know pretty well what uh, is the path of success, which is something that in the past perhaps was more tough uh, to swallow for telcos because uh, we always had this pride of we can still claim some value. I don't have that issue. Uh, I know where the battle can be win and I know where we lost. When it comes to content, I cannot compete Netflix, not because of the money that they invest in content, it's because of their expertise. I don't have that set of expertise. I think that our teams and our company are very good when it comes to telco, but not in content. What they are looking is a partnership, and a partnership in a form of joint venture. We have something unique that these companies don't have, which is a connection with customers, and it's a paying connection. So uh, we have people that on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, they transact with us. This is a, a very strong link that none of these OTT players have, and especially in our geographies. So I think that there's a win-win scenario where we can say, you know what, you bring the content, you bring this expertise, I'll bring the distribution. 
and we create value together. I don't need to own you. You don't need to own me. But I think that we can create a bigger cake if we work together. So that's, that's our approach. And when it comes to bundle, most of our competitors had a very religious approach of let's bundle this thing and make it uh, grow into the ARPU. I don't care about that. I honestly couldn't care less. I think that bundling is the best way to destroy value, especially if you have a very unique product. So for me, it's using our customers to show them that there's something else outside our premises that can be valuable for them. And if they pay outside our premises, that's fine for me too, because the relationship and the partnership between uh, the content in this case and us will allow us to monetize in, an, in another way. So I'm trying to monetize, if it makes sense, outside my premises. The point that you raise for bundling is very interesting because uh, right now there's a battle going on between um, you know, the, the, the platform that we're using right now, Zoom, right? And, uh, yeah. and then the, the players who bundle like Microsoft uh, and, and Cisco and so on. And, and Zoom has sort of like, uh, you know, just surpassed all of them. And, and you know, uh, there is a un, uh, unmitigated success in the, in the, in the acceptance yeah. of customers worldwide. Uh, and, and the valuation shows uh, very, very strongly. I think the, 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 uh, the market cap is now 48 billion or something like that. So, um, you know, and, and, and that enables a company like Zoom to, to do a number of things. Uh, it can create its own ecosystem of, um, you know, startups and, and uh, APIs and, and yeah. so on. You know, um, so, so if you were to specialize in the one thing, what, what, what would the, real, uh, the, the beyond proposition be? As I mentioned, there's three things for us that are very relevant. One is financial services. I do think that we have uh, the right expertise and the right focus to make it uh, a huge success. And the approach is the same, it's valuation. So we are not trying to create revenues on day one, we are trying to create value like Zoom or the other ones. The second one is, is content. I think that uh, our expertise and our localization adds a lot of value to these pure players. You cannot drop or pretend to make uh, a business in Bangladesh with the latest Avengers movie. And nobody would pay for that type of content. They already get it either via piracy or, or, or somewhere else. But they would pay for money for content that is very local. So we know where this local content uh, sits and we can distribute it. So leveraging that is, uh, is also an area where we can like, definitely make a, a change. And the final one is, is big data. Uh, I think that all of these companies, uh, they sit in tons of, of data. The data that Zoom can have its uh, location, perhaps, uh, if the customer allows, uh, maybe some type of transaction if they put their, their debit card. And that's pretty much it. Uh, they can improve the, the utilization of the product, but they don't have this contextual and behavioral data. We do. We have towers. We know where the people move. We don't need to say if it's he, she, or, or how tall or how old. That's, that's irrelevant. But we have this, uh, I would say, unstructured data that is very, very powerful. Until very recently, we were not even paying attention to, to that segment. And we were not even hiring people that could uh, leverage uh, and farm this type of information. Now we are doing it. And the first results are, are tremendous. I'll give you the example of how we are using it internally. Now we are deploying towers in a way that is unprecedented. Before we, we were feeling, or we were using our gut feeling to say, yeah, maybe we need to put a tower here or there. Maybe do some sort of... Uh, drive-through analysis. Now we are using data that we have from uh, our customers to say, hmm, it makes sense to put that tower here. You pair that with AI, and you don't need to even have a drive-through. But we are discovering 
uh, ways to allocate our towers that in the past were non-existent with uh, the efficiency that generates, but also the increasing productivity. So all of these things uh, are just, as I said, the beginning of the, of the journey, but I feel very, very uh, confident that in these three areas, financial services, content, and big data, we can make a, a huge dent. On the power of telco technology, um, mm -hmm. how fast do you think it's moving, what we need to look out for in two areas, um, identity and payments? Um, and, as, and you said that you, you like the idea of blockchain, and really, the whole idea of crypto um, you know, transactions is that there's no speed to it. It's not a reality yet. Um, you know, what are the trigger points that you're looking out to to, uh, to make that a reality? It's not moving fast enough. My constant push to the team is let's do it faster, let's do it faster. I, I think that it's a balance between willing to do things quite aggressively, but also at the same time to keep uh, the customers with us. Because as I said, we are geeks in this thing. So for us, it's natural. But uh, I want to be sure that my mom, uh, my, my dad can use it in a way that they, they feel comfort uh, and, and they know that uh, everything is secure. We're probably going to be rolling a bit slower than, than I, I would like, but uh, both uh, identity and also payments are going to be tight and tight together, specifically in emerging economies. And what we're trying to do is to get the support uh, and ease of mind from the government to say, let's push it and let's make it an obligation. And every country, I think that will focus, I will strive on digital. I think it's our moment to say digital and owning this data and owning it in a, I would say, local way. It's super powerful. We can help you uh, in this journey. So that's where our mindset is to empower local people and local governments to have a, a say into this new revolution or next, the next wave of uh, uh, I would say technology advancements. One last point, um, yeah. uh, because of the COVID-19 um, pandemic and all the lockdowns, um, cybercrime is uh, on the rise uh, tremendously. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you seeing and how are you dealing with them? It's something that we knew it was coming, also because we operate, as I said, in, in complex geographies. So for us, cybersecurity was always a priority. And now what we are doing is the tools that we use internally, try to repurpose uh, this for B2C and also for B2B. There's a huge demand when it comes to B2B in our geographies, but also we feel that this technology should be available for customers. So we are productizing that, and hopefully in the next few months, we're going to start offering these services to, to our customers. But it's, it's, a, it's a huge demand. We knew that. Uh, there's another piece where we also think that it's important, which is telemedicine. We launched some pilots in Ukraine, uh, and I have to say that it's, it's been quite positive, especially locations that are quite rural or, or geographies that have difficult access you need to have this type of technology. So I think that we are the best position to at least uh, provide or, or be the ones carrying this type of information. So we are working on that. And these two items, I, I do believe that they're going to be more and more important when it comes to 5G, uh, when uh, operations uh, remotely can be done. Fun fact, we had uh, one of our employees to have the first 5G operation remotely. So he had implanted a chip in his hand to monitor the, the broad pressure and levels of oxygen. And it was uh, a, ro a robot that did that remotely. So the person was sitting 50 kilometers away from the, the doctor and via 5G, a 5G test that we did uh, with our own network, we were able to conduct that uh, type of, uh, of operation. So all of these things are coming and we try to, to test, learn and improve the service. Sergi, thank you very much. It was an excellent interview uh, and oh, uh, excellent uh, to get a perspective uh, from you. Thank you. Thank you, Emmanuel. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.